Finney Smith to inbound. Back to Doncic. Doncic pulls up, three-pointer. Bang! Bang! It's good! Doncic wins the game at the buzzer! Hello and welcome to Numbers on the Boards. My name is Bobby Corella. Joining me today to describe the magical masterpiece that we laid witness to yesterday is the great Jeff Skin Wade. Skin, can you please tell me if what I think we just saw actually did happen? I don't know how many people I ended up texting. I can't blinking believe what I just saw. I mean, I felt like I was just carpet bomb. You know, you know the deal. It's right when something like that happens and the shot goes in, your phone starts blowing up. It's like, why is my third grade teacher texting me? But it was everyone was so dialed in and so excited. And there was just such a, a universal expression of exuberance that was happening on everyone's phones and social media platforms and all that. It was really, really fun. And one of my best friends that I grew up with sent me a text. I was like, I have not felt like this since game six in 2011. And even like, if you want to, you know, talk about the Vince Carter shot, you know, against San Antonio, that didn't feel like this. This felt like, uh, this truly felt like, oh, my God, are we going to beat one of the couple, two or three best teams in the league without Porzingis? And I'm not talking about for a game, I'm talking about for a series. Like, you, you started thinking that, haven't you? Haven't you allowed yourself to go to, well, we've been the better team. We can win this series. Yeah, I mean, through four games, I don't think there's any doubt which team has been better. Uh, now, I will say it does kind of compare to, to Vince's shot in that way, in that that, that 2014 Mavs team had no business beating the Spurs, and you could make the case that this Mavs team has no business beating the Clippers, or at least going into the series. Now, having seen them played, no one would tell you that. They'd be crazy to say that, but I, th- I think this shot by Luka, you know, as much as I don't want to be like prisoner of the moment guy and get too carried away based off one game or one shot or one moment or anything, but where this separates from Vince's shot is that this is like a moment of like actualization and realization and confirmation and like it's an arrival moment for him you had freaking like LeBron and Dame and everybody in the NBA was watching this game marveling at this guy just like the rest of us and the least surprised person in the world that what is happening about what is happening is him and that's what makes it all so much more crazy did you the whole time were you remembering uh, that it, he was doing it on a bum wheel? Like I kept yeah. <laughs> forgetting that, and then I'd be like, "Oh, he's going back to that fade." Okay, he's favoring it, but that was on a bum wheel. And, and here's another thing that a buddy of mine, Skip, uh, had sent me a text, and he was like, "Man, he did that on Kobe's birthday," and I, you know, I hadn't really thought about that, and then I started thinking about that, and then you just said. Dame and LeBron and all those guys I'm like every one of those guys wishes they had hit a game winner in a playoff series on Kobe's birthday like it's and he gave you a 42 and what 17 and 13 on a bad wheel in a game where there's Mavs second best player wasn't available and we didn't know he was going to be available until an hour before I mean everything about it is so just storybook legendary 
baller, badass. He has arrived. There's no longer any debate. He's a top five player. All of that stuff is in play, and it's not just homerific Maverick fans wanting it to be so. This is reality. Do you want to take it one step further with the symmetry? Yes, let's go. 2011 Miami game two, you make a huge comeback against a favored team down double digits. One of their stars maybe not having that good of a game. You're a guy who has missed some uh, some big time shots throughout his career. I think you know Luca this season shots to tire take the lead inside the final minute was 0 for 10. He hits a, a very nice shot to put you ahead with under 30 seconds left, and then you kind of blow it on the other end and give up an open three. And you think, well, that sucks. Uh, what's about to happen is what was supposed to happen all along. And then no. Your superstar makes the play and wins the game. And, uh, I mean, Dirk goes to the left with a bum left hand. Luca hits a step back, planning off the left foot, which a bum left foot. And you win the game, pull off the upset. And all of a sudden, I mean, you're, I, I, there's there's all sorts of between Kobe and Luca and LeBron watching and against Kawhi. I mean, there's just – this was a moment with a capital M. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I and uh and the excitement hasn't waned one bit. I'm I'm sure I'll go back and before game five rewatch at least the fourth quarter in overtime. Um, because there were some other just huge bomb threes that he hit as a part of that. Tim Hardaway Jr. hit some really big shots. Trey Burke. What? What did he did he have thirty five? What did Trey he had have? Twenty five. Twenty five points on oh, 10 of fourteen shooting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's outrageous. His previous career high was 16. Wow. Are you serious? That's it? Yeah. Maybe 17. He might've got it the other day in game two. Whatever he scored in game two was his playoff career high before this point. He had 25 points in the starting lineup. Dude, that time he put Kawhi in a blender and finished reverse a couple times. Dude, he is everything. I feel, I think you and I have talked about this before. Everything they've needed. All year long, they've needed a, a guard that has some quicks, maybe some handles, and can attack the lane so that Luke is not the only guy that has to do it, and a guy that can create his own shot. And if you can combine both of those players into one guy, that's even better. And they found him. They found him on a couch. He was hanging out with you and me during quarantine, doing nothing for six months. And they give him a call, and he shows up to Orlando, and he's now starting for a team that's beating Kawhi and Paul George. It wasn't good enough to stick around on the team that just got swept by the Celtics. Which is amazing to me. Yeah. It's amazing to me. And, 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 and I want to I wanna put it in proper context, but a lot of what he does reminds me of all the stuff that Berea has done for this team over the years. Because um, he's that kind of a guy. He's a combo guard that's going to score and give you offensive punch. And, uh, you know, obviously he doesn't have – Berea's savvy and all that yet because he hadn't been around the block many times like Berea had. Uh, but it's just uh, – it's extraordinary. And, you know, when they replaced Willie Cauley-Stein with Trey Burke, my first reaction was, man, we're going to play real small. Um, but it was truly just they addressed a need with a roster spot. That was an absolute need. They had to have it. And um, – and this was – it's funny, too, in hindsight, because this is the type of team that you have to be big and physical with. And so maybe you would have thought going into a series like this, you would need a Willie Cauley's time. But Trey Burke actually fit the bill way better. It's its insane, man. I, 
when they were getting pounded, uh, you know, early in this game and the Mavericks were lethargic, I started thinking about, uh, you know, all right, this might be the kind of game where I multitask and do some other things while it's on. Uh, and then you just, you know, little things start happening and then you got that momentum and you got the run going. And I want to give our team that we're such cheerleaders for the proper credit. But I do believe a lot of this is, I mean, I, I'm jumping to conclusions, but I'm watching this going, I just don't think the Clippers like playing with each other very much. I mean, they haven't, they don't have experiences together and stuff. And I'm sure if Paul George has not been so bad shooting the ball, they would feel better about things, but those don't look like a group of guys that pull for one another and are tied together. And I still think there's a kind of a deep sense of unfamiliarity. I mean, I, this was something that was very much talked about really up until the all-star break. The fact that they'd only practice together, like half a dozen times all season with everybody taking part in practice because you know of course Kawhi with what happened with his injury a couple years ago in San Antonio you know you you got to take care of him and then Paul George is dealing with the shoulder for a large part of the season as well and so you know let alone games they haven't played many games together they definitely haven't had many practices together and so they just don't know each other very well you know like those two guys those guys within the team and then now of course that Patrick Beverly is out you're having a lot of different guys playing in the starting lineup. And so there's even more sort of like, well, I don't know. And, and when there's doubt, how many times do you hear this said? If, if, you're, if you're spending too much time thinking instead of playing, then you're not going to be able to perform at a high level. I mean, you gotta, you got to dominate the simple, right? But if nothing is simple because you're having to second guess everything and everybody because no one knows what they're doing, then it's going to look kind of tough at times. Do you remember – Dude, when's the last time you thought about the first three or four minutes of game one? Never. <laughs> that was – dude, that was an ass-kicking. And that's what I thought – too, man. That's what I thought we were in for for the series. Now, you and I talked about this going into the series. I thought, okay, you know, we may get a game or two. And, you know, if you shoot the ball, like what was it, game uh, – was it game two that we hit 46% of our threes? Yeah, 13 out of yep. 29, and, and Trey Burke had like eight layups. I mean, that yeah. was the Clippers' worst game maybe of the season. And so I thought, all right, we, we could have a game or two because we have so many good shooters where we go off. But this team desperately misses Pat Beverly just for the simple standpoint of there's no motor. And, and, and even if you look at game three, I mean, Landry Shamo is pretty big for them because he gave them some sort of a motor. If Paul George is going to be this bad shooting the ball, you know, he doesn't play like a high motor. He's crazy smooth and crazy talented and a really good defender. But where is their energy coming from? Uh, and, and I think even at times, you know, Lou Williams is trying to figure out, okay, do I just do my Lou Williams thing right now or do I acquiesce to these other two guys? And It was amazing they, today too. Oh, my God, he was so good. If they don't have Lou Williams, they, those guys – they get beaten regular uh, regulation by 12 or 14 by the Mavericks. And then you get back to like that whole idea of guys liking each other and playing for one another. When, when they had that little run going where they score 14 straight or whatever it was. And I mean, you could feel the energy of the bench through your television set. Like these guys like each other and are playing all the things that we talked about at the beginning of the bubble that were abstracts before we had to go play the Clippers and now the Clippers just aren't being 
what we thought they were going to be. And, and having said all that, you know, I'm trying to be rational here. The series is tied at two. It feels like the Mavericks have beat the Clippers significantly, but we're not at up at two. I think maybe because of expectation and all the things the Clippers haven't done and then all the things the Mavericks have overcome. They won a game where Luka was in foul trouble and they didn't need him in the second half. Porzingis just doesn't play. He gets thrown out again. I mean, there's all these crazy-ass things that are happening, and the Mavericks are the team that's resilient and keeps answering the bell. And the resilience, I think, is the the key thing because the, one of the big knocks against this team all season long is that in crunch time, everybody gets tight and they're not able to win games. And so there's a record of this. There's reason to believe that these guys might be uh, maybe a little doubtful or a little like kind of like – I, I don't know, easily, maybe, may, you know, this is like psychology stuff, which obviously is never a good idea, but just like they can get rattled from time to time, you know? I mean, sometimes things get tight. Sometimes things don't look uh, things don't look as easy as they do in the first quarter whenever the game, you know, gets really tight late. But, I mean, they go down 21 today in the first half, and coming into this game, I th- kind of thought that that might be the case. I was thinking Luca wouldn't play and that KP would, but it turned out to be the opposite. But I still thought the same thing would happen because the Clippers gave the Mavs their best game in game three, and they were even better in the first half of game four. And historically, if you're a team that's down a superstar or a star player or whatever you want to call KP, and the other team is full of all-stars and they're on you by 20 sometimes you put your tail between your legs and you're going one two three Cancun in the huddle because that's just how basketball is their backs were against the wall in in game one when KP got ejected their backs were against the wall in game three when Luca sprained his ankle and they almost came back and won that game and certainly in game two with Luca on the bench in foul trouble I mean there's a lot of fight and like f-u-ness in this team that I don't know if maybe just it existed all along and we never got the chance to see it or something, but I mean, they they have a, like a they at least seem to have a totally different attitude since the playoffs have begun than they had in the regular season. To the point where if they played like this all year, I don't think they lose like hardly any of the games that have sort of gotten away from them in the regular season. No, I think everything you're saying is accurate. I think the uh, I think there's this idea too that when you have a guy like Luca. It's the idea that through Luca, all things are possible. Like, I'll give you an example. Um, is a, just a journeyman, a guy that, you know, didn't make it right out of college and then bounced around, but is now a really good player, is P.J. Tucker, who's like kind of a six-five front court player, sort of. Like, he's just this thing. But, you know, playing with a guy like Harden has made him a really great player. And so – you know, there's a domino effect and, and or ripple effect in basketball where great players make everyone around them better. And it's not just by passing him the ball. It's everything. And I think the, the best embodiment of what you're talking about is Seth Curry. Seth Curry looks like an effing baller, dude. Like, he has been huge, and he's been huge at key, key moments. He was huge when Luca went to the bench with four fouls or maybe went back to the bench with five in that game two win. You know, for the series, he's hitting 65% of his twos and or, or overall field goal percentage and 56% of his threes. And he's just been so reliable and so good and played. And maybe it has to do with Portland's run last year that he was a part of, but he's played with a mannerism that's totally go F yourself. He's, car- he's carrying himself with a go F yourself. It's the playoffs mentality. And the Mavericks are projecting that a lot more than the Clippers are. 
the Clippers are waiting for Kawhi to save them. They're, they're standing around when, you know, Zubats kind of started getting going a little bit and throwing his body around and stuff. But uh, you mentioned Lou Williams. He was obviously really good today. But, you know, there's just so many positive things that you can say about the Mavericks, and there's not that many positive things you can say about the Clippers right now. Yeah, I thought your point earlier about Lou Will kind of being like or having to become their motor without Pat Bev, I thought that was very astute observation by you skin um i'll add to that another motor guy is montrez harrell who is probably going to be the sixth man of the year this year averaged whatever 20 points and eight rebounds or 19 and eight off the bench but in in game three he really did get going and he was obviously talking and he was he was you know feeling himself and and he was a very valuable contributor for them but what did they do in this game as soon as he would come in boban would come in and that really limited Harold's impact. And if if a lot of your, you know, not only is he giving you production, Harold, 20 and 8, I mean, that's undeniable, but he's giving you energy and he's giving you kind of a sort of an intimidation factor. He's not the biggest guy, but he's going to throw it down on you and let you know about it. And that can sort of knock you off your kilter a little bit. But Boban's able to swallow pretty much all of that up and Luke is finishing over, Luke is attacking him and finishing over him and everything. And that just kind of limits his impact. And so all of the guys that are creating energy for the Clippers right now have been fairly contained in all the games, but especially in the games that the Mavs have won. Yeah, so no, you're bringing up something that I can't remember if we talked about this on the pot, the last pot or what, because a lot has happened. But I thought, you know, you start looking at advantages and matchups and these sorts of things. And the idea of starting Maxi caused such a tremendous – a uh, change of how these teams matched up. And the number one way it did was with Boban on Montrez, because if they hadn't put Maxi in the starting lineup, more than likely Boban would not have been playing the minutes that he was playing and swallowed up is exactly right. Uh, he swallowed up Montrez Harrell. And, you know, one of the reasons that people always go, well, why didn't Boban play more? Why didn't Boban play more? Well, a guy the size of Boban that moves like Boban is going to struggle in space covering pick and rolls. And so the way that they can cover a Montrez Harrell screen and roll is he can back way up. The guy can fight through. And then you don't care if Montrez gets the ball, because what is he going to do? Take a dribble and shot, put it over, you know, it just changes that. And so then the ripple effect is you go, all right, well, the Clippers are averaging 50 a game off the bench. Not anymore. The Mavericks were winning the bench battle. And quite frankly, even if the bench battle was flat, that's an advantage for the Mavericks because they gave up. Like, they were uh, the through, going into game three, because we talked about on the pregame show, the Clippers were down 19 points a game off their bench. That's oh seismic. God. Okay. So I'm just going to look at it uh, right now. It'll be, it's okay. It's obviously going to be different today because Lou Williams gave you 36 and Reggie Jackson gave you 14. Uh, but then you look at their starters. I mean, my God, the Clippers had 32 from Kawhi, and then your next guy is Zubach with 15, and then three single-digit guys. It's like everything has been sort of thrown off kilter from what are normal advantages for the Clippers. And, the, and, and then the other thing, too, Bobby, is when you put – now, it was different today, but when you put – Maxi on Kawhi, then that means Dorian checks Paul George. And it's not Tim Hardaway Jr. giving up three inches. And then it's not, you know, the Mavericks were getting killed at every single position with their old starting five against the Clippers. They're just getting out physical. 
And that one simple change not only neutralized that, it took away the Clippers' bench advantage. It's been, in my opinion, the single most important decision of the series, bringing Seth Curry off the bench. Absolutely. And while we're here, can we just say Luca is busting his ass on defense skin. Absolutely. He's playing harder on that end of the floor than he ever has in his career, and that might include Real Madrid, too. I mean, You know why? Because it's the playoffs. Yeah. You, you, I think you're the one who originally told me, and then I went and read it, the story about Luca when uh, Real Madrid was playing Oklahoma City, and he said, I want to take Westbrook. And, you know. I think you're the one that actually told me that okay, story. Okay, okay, okay. Um, <laughs> see, fans of numbers on the boards, Bobby and I talk a lot of nerd basketball stuff, so yeah. we remember what we've said to each other. But, um, but anyways, that, that's indicative of a spirit of baller, right? And so, like, even a guy like a, a Larry Bird, for example, that wasn't like a great individual defender, was a brilliant team defender and knew how to uh, defend within the, the context of the team and where to be. Dirk was a not a great individual defender. We know that, but he was a really good team defender. He knew all the rotations, knew where the help was going to be, knew how to steer people. These are all things that matter, and they're, it's, they're basketball intelligence things. Like, dude, that 2011 run, Jason Kidd was way past his physical prime, but he anticipated everything and was so smart about being where he needed to be. And there's a high basketball intelligence with Luke on defense I thought it was very telling that on those final possessions, you know, where they just like the final one where Kawhi and regulation took that bad shot, Luca's on the floor because Luca's one of the smartest defensive players out there. You would normally go, okay, take Luca off or take this guy off. No, he's one of your smarter defenders. He's the kind of guy that will come up with a steal or will anticipate a spin the other way or some of those things. So you're right. Uh, he is rising to the moment defensively and has been really, really good in the series. He's gotten a lot better at kind of using his weight and his strength and his size as an advantage on defense. Earlier in the season, uh, like before the hiatus, before all this stuff, he used to like step out on guys and kind of like, I don't know, almost try and not draw a charge, but I guess just use his body to sort of like check them or like slow them down as they're driving, like if he's hedging on a screen or anything. And he, he picked up so many cheap fouls doing that because he's basically like – you know, he'll like cover his, his, you know what, with his hands and step into somebody like he's trying to draw a charge, but he's like sidestepping into them. And so it's like, it's very, very poor technique. And he picked up a lot of fouls, but now he's timing it better and he's beating his guy to the spot and his arms are stretched out and he's making himself big. And so no one can get past him. And so when you run into him, you're really kind of running into an established brick wall and there's nothing you can do to get around them. And so it's slowing guys down and then he's hustling back and he's getting his hand in passing lanes. And I think he like he stuffed Paul George like at the rim in this game, I think. And uh, on another play, maybe it was George, maybe it was someone else who's trying to post him up and Luca just like put his hands up in the air and grabbed the ball from them. Uh, just making really, really big impact plays where his size, his reach, all of that stuff come into come into play and, and, are, and are really a factor. And if he can just start doing that, literally throwing his weight around, he's 6'8", 250 or whatever, 230. I don't know what he's listed at or whatever. But, I mean, he's a big boy. He's bigger than Montrez Harrell. They, t they mentioned that on the broadcast today. He's bigger than the Clippers' center. I mean, he's a huge person. And so if you just stand there and be big – 
and move your feet, keep your feet moving, stay square to your opponent, then then you're going to be able to make plays on defense. And so that's been uh, that's that's been really 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 big. It's been really big, and uh, you know I I I'm. I'm just sitting here go, oh, you know, earlier, I'm sorry, I wanted to bring this up. You were talking about the psychology aspect. And it's like, uh, so I was watching the Fox Sports Southwest postgame show with Sad and Jenny and Dana. Coach Jenny Busek was on it. She was dynamite, by the way. But she started talking about um, that whole idea of, you know, the mentality of the Clippers right now and all the doubt creeping in. Like, the Mavericks truly have nothing to lose and have already wowed the NBA. To this point, the Mavericks have wowed the NBA, right? To go win that game with Luka hobbled and KP not playing, that's just crazy. And to have won another game where Luka was in foul trouble and all those guys step up, I mean – so, anyways, the whole idea of this is no more fluky stuff, it's just – it's real hard because you knew how good the Clippers potentially were. It's real hard to fully let yourself go there, but I'm, I'm fully letting myself go to the place of, man, if they can go into one of these games and hit 38 or 39% of their threes, I think they're the better team right now. So they can do this. It's just, can Luca stay healthy? Uh, can KP come back? But the other guys are doing, have been for the most part, who they are except for game three, right? Second half of game three or whatever after the Luka injury. They've kind of been even and been the same and been what you can count on. Hmm. Yeah, I would say the only the the only guy who's not pulling his weight offensively at the same level as he normally does in the regular season is Maxi Kleba, who's been spending all of his time defending Kawhi. And uh, it might not show up in the numbers because Kawhi is a cyborg, but – uh, Jared Dubin, who writes for a few different sites, I think this might have been for like Forbes. I don't remember, or maybe maybe for um, Five Thirty Eight. He writes for a bunch of sites. Really good basketball writer, national guy. Um, he wrote this article about kind of defense in the playoffs, and it was about I think it was about the Raptors or somebody else. But anyway, uh, he found a stat. So Kawhi's effective field goal percentage, and this is as of Game Three. So this doesn't include what happened in Game Four. His effective field goal percentage whenever Kleba was guarding him in the series was the third lowest against any player with like a minimum of 30 shot attempts against or something that he's ever had in any playoff series. So Maxi is defending his butt off against Kawhi. His effective field goal percentage through three games against Maxi was like 41%. And effective field goal percentage counts a three-pointer as worth one and a half shots. So if you are one for one from the game and it's a three, your effective field goal percentage is 150%. So basically, Kawhi is holding Maxi, well, Maxi's holding Kawhi to like 0.8 points per shot, which is remarkable because Kawhi is their best player. And so if you're going to make that kind of impact defensively, I don't really care what you're giving me on offense, honestly, because you're already your impact is already felt so much especially I mean you already got Luca and KP doing all, all their stuff so everybody is delivering in their own way and for Maxi the shots will start falling he had a couple that that rimmed out today in pretty devastating fashion but dude with what he's doing on defense especially on the glass without KP pulling down all these rebounds that he is I'm totally fine with the way that he's played and the impact that he's made oh he's completely invaluable to this team and then the whole versatility of it. I mean, he'd spent the majority of the day today covering Zubots, 
which is a tough matchup for him because Zubats is so physical. And then when he's not covering Zubats, he has to shift gears and go chase Kawhi. And obviously, he was covering Kawhi a lot in the fourth quarter and overtime when Kawhi was getting to his spots. But do you know how uh, just brutal it is to have to go physically bang with someone under the under the boards that's bigger and stronger than you and then go cover somebody completely different style on the perimeter after using all your energy being the last line of defense to hold it down. I mean, it's a com- within one game, he had to completely change his demeanor and style of play to adjust to the other defensive assignment that was significantly tougher. I mean, they're asking an S-ton of that guy. And he had a huge block underneath that led to a transition bucket going back the other way. Just uh, I feel for him that his shots aren't falling. I saw him pass up one late that he, you could tell he was just scared to shoot it. But he's got to let it keep keep flying because he shot the ball well enough all year long where I expect the next one to go in. Yeah, and if he does start making those shots, then it really is church because the Clippers are, at this point, I'm not sure they're going to change up their scheme at all. And so if they're going to keep leaving Maxi open and he starts hitting a couple in a the game, then what are you going to do? I mean – the, the Mavs are going to win. I mean, they're just they're going to win because that's just free points every time down the floor. By um, the way, go back and look at the screen work Maxi did. Oh my! On that last play, oh my God! It was a masterclass. What that was a brilliant, brilliant play by Rick Carlisle and Maxi executed it so well. Can you can you walk through a little bit? So the Mavs call timeout. Luka got fouled. The, the Clippers had a foul to take, and so they fouled him with three and a half seconds left. And I thought the Mavs were just going to take it out of bounds. But then I think maybe you could see, like, the light bulb go off in Rick's head, and he called a timeout and drew something up to get a switch, uh, to force a switch on the Clippers. Yeah, to force the switch. And, and in this case, it was Reggie Jackson that uh, got screened off. Or it was Maxi screened off Kawhi. And it was after another switch in which Reggie Jackson was somehow guarding the screener, which was Maxie. So then that put Reggie Jackson onto Luca, which created a situation where he had a much, you know, he's going to shoot over Reggie Jackson all day long. So, and, you know, uh, uh, Van Gundy was talking about, uh, you know, letting him just play and not calling the timeout because remember the Clippers had the foul to give. And so the Mavericks stood in the backcourt. And I think it was Reggie Jackson that fouled with, whatever it was, 3.7. And then the Mavericks, you know, drove what they drew up. Um, so it's just – it's it's all those little subtle things matter, you know. And so when we're just looking at the little final box score – let's see, I've got it in front of me. And you look and you go, well, Maxi Kleba was two for eight. Uh, man, that's not even half the story, dude. It's, it's really not even half the story. You know, give me – if he's going to give me nine rebounds and – that type of screening and uh, two block shots and all that kind of stuff and be able to do all the defensive versatility, he can go over. He's He's got to be out there. He's way too critical to all the things they do. Yeah, and it wasn't just on the last shot that Luka got a switch. Uh, and I'm not trying to pick on Reggie Jackson. They just wanted to get Kawhi off of Luka, and it just so happened to be Reggie Jackson both times. But on Luca's little spin move layup to put them ahead with 29 seconds or whatever it was, you had Tim Hardaway screen – on Kawhi so that Jackson switched off onto Luka and Kawhi kind of like maybe thought about trying to help but Tim went so far to the other side of the court into the corner that if Kawhi stayed there he'd be playing illegal defense and to Luka's credit 
he took a couple extra dribbles, counting to three in his head. And as soon, if you go back and watch this play, I did this. I didn't even realize this happened. As soon as Kawhi steps out of the lane to avoid committing 3D, that's when Luca put it on the floor and attacked the basket. Like this guy's a genius. And if there's any if there's any doubt, then watch the tape because this guy is a freaking stud. Um, he is. He he he'll do the thing too where he will set you up to where he wants, and not just the defender, the help defender. He will wait and orchestrate to set them up into where they're in the position to where they can't do what they want to do. He's th- he's it's a cliche the whole chess thing, but he is thinking. He's thinking a couple passes ahead. He's think he's thinking through the other team's defensive rotations, and he's attacking that. Not that many guys can do it. LeBron does it because LeBron's got a photographic memory. Uh, James Harden does it. I know Matt fans don't want to hear that. James Harden absolutely does that, and Luka Doncic does it. And it's it's elite elite stuff. And that's it. That's it. I mean that. This is this is the. This is one of the premier players in the NBA, and he's 21 years old, and it's just amazing. There's another reason, Skin, why the Mavs are uh, looking so fresh right now. So this is right before the playoffs. They've been spending, of course, like two months in the bubble, sleeping in a hotel bed, which is like pretty comfortable, but pillows in hotels, not that great. So what did the Mavs do? They partnered up with our guys at Bedgear, and they had a bunch of pillows shipped to the bubble, and the Mavs now each have all the players, all the coaches, all the staff, support staff, everybody have their own bed gear pillow. Way, way, way more comfortable, no disrespect, than a hotel pillow. I've been sleeping on uh, on one for a couple years now. And it's I got to say, it is phenomenal. It's a very, very, very freaking good pillow. And so if you sleep well at night, then you're going to play well during the day because I, I'm someone like you, you spend a lot of time traveling for work and on the road with the team and everything. Sometimes it's hit or miss with hotel pillows, man. And if and if you get a bad one, then it's just bad on your neck, bad on your back, and just blech. So they uh, they got our guys taken care of. So shout-outs to Bedgear for that. Nobody is spending their leisure time at hotelpillow.com. I can promise you that. It's not a popular <laughs> website. <laughs> not at all. No. But everybody should go to bedgear.com, Skin. Absolutely. I can just say that. So, uh, okay. So game five is coming up on Tuesday, and now that's going to be a big one. Uh, I would say the winner of that one is going to be one win away from winning the series. So you'd rather be up 3-2 than down 3-2, historically speaking. Uh, we don't know what KP's status is. I believe he's going to have an MRI or already had an MRI or something. Someone reported that. So we'll uh, we'll have to wait on that. But assuming he does play, assuming he doesn't play, uh, what do you expect from Dallas in game five? What do you expect from the Clippers? Because they've pretty much brought it the last two games. They've they've been all business, L.A. has, the last couple games. And so it's going to take another A-plus game from the Mavs to win. Do you think they got another one in them uh, in 48 hours? I, I do, man. You know, I'll base it on uh... – I'll base it on the idea that Luca can keep doing what he's doing physically, not, Hey man, you got to get 42, 17 and 13 every night, but physically the ankle doesn't give him problems. If it doesn't, I think, I think they're in this thing. And I think it truly then is going to come down to are the Mavericks having one of those nights where they're sniffing, you know, 40% of their three point shots. Um, I really think it's going to come down to that with or without Porzingis. Um, I don't mean I don't mean that in any way to minimize. They have to have him, but I just think the fluky, junky nature of the series. It's really more important for them to knock down their threes than anything else. And uh, 
especially if Paul George is going to continue being this guy. I think I saw a quote after the game where he said, let's face it, if I had hit my shots, we would have won the series by now. Now, Probably true. It's I, probably I will admit true. that. Yeah, I mean, if you just go and look at what one of the 20 best players in the world or 25 or whatever, whatever line you want to draw, if he's going to be that – I mean, dude, I, I'm kind of had these moments during the series. I'm like, yeah, let Paul George crank it up there. I mean, quite frankly, the guy I want to shoot every time down for the Clippers is Reggie Jackson, and he's shooting the ball better than Paul George. He's having a great series, yeah. Reggie Jackson is. Now, it's, now, he's also the guy that'll dribble around and take terrible shots, and he's, you know, not very good defensively. But, you know, my point being is that if, if Reggie Jackson's more reliable shooting the, the ball than Paul George, well, then I do look at the series. You know, in other words, had I known going in that Paul George was going to do this, I'd be like, oh, man, I like our chances. But I was sitting there going, they have Kawhi, they have Paul George, they have Lou Williams. They just have so much offense, you know. And plus they play, they beat you up, and they play defense. And so, you know, their defense has come and gone. Like there were times in game – I guess it was game two – or no, uh, it was the first half of game three, the game that we lost, and then Luka got hurt. There was times in the first half of game three where I was like, are the Clippers going to defend? Like, they just – there was times where, you know, Mavericks just getting the shots that they want. It's like, what are the Clippers doing right now? So, there's a lot of things that could change, but for anybody that's been watching this series, I don't think there's any reason not to feel like you've got as good a chance as they've got. You're sitting here at 2-2. It's a three-game series. Um, and then you start feeling like the Mavs versus the Jazz and what was that, 0-2 or whenever that was, or 0-1. One, rather. Calvin Booth, the yeah. great Calvin Booth. Or, 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 you know, you mentioned that Miami series. You just start feeling like they're the ones that have all the problems. The Mavericks don't have – what are the Mavericks' problems right now? They're doing everything that they can do, and they're doing it to the best of their ability. And so – I just, I'm so, I guess the word, I'm not their dad, but I'm just so proud of this team. I'm so proud of their resiliency and their belief in themselves and their swagger and their edge and all of these things that were complete intangibles that we thought would be tilted in the favor of the Clippers because these guys don't have playoff experience, but they're all stepping up in major ways. It's been awesome. Yeah, and I don't want to do like the corny nobody believes in us thing, but I mean it's pretty clear where everybody's confidence, you know, rested uh, heading into this thing. I thought that the, I thought I'd be I, going into this. I was like, I'll be happy if we get a win. Yeah, I was going to be happy with a win. We pretty much said as much on the last episode of this very podcast, so maybe yeah. we should just shut up. But I mean, or keep what happens that is. When you play against a guy who's got a 99-mile-an-hour fastball, sometimes he doesn't have his best stuff, and all of a sudden doubt creeps in their mind, and a little confidence can creep in your mind, and then some crazy things can happen, especially if you have a player who's going to the level that Luka has reached uh, the last week or so. It's just been incredible stuff. So if the Clippers can't find an answer, then, I mean, this thing could go the distance. It, it could be This could be a series that we remember for a really long time. I think it will be no matter what, but – it, it there. I, I think the best is still yet to come for Dallas. I'll steal this from a uh, Jenny Busek too. Uh, when she was on the post game show on Fox tonight, she you know was just talking about the you know the whole idea of house money 
and everything that you wanted to get out of the playoff experience. I mean, you want to win every game, but then you start, all right, doing the whole realism thing, you know, we're a young team, blah, blah, blah. They're a great team, blah, blah, blah. Everything that you wanted, that you had hoped to get, you've already gotten. Through four games, it's already been a home run. And so that's like the true idea of house money, right? Like Luca has not only gotten playoff experience, he's been the best player in the world at moments in the playoffs. And I'm sitting there going, dude, he's not even feeding off of the energy of fans. What is that going to be like for us to watch? What? It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. And this is the ultimate showman. This is a guy who loves that. Yeah. Crazy, dude. He's doing this against them, against Kawhi. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I I don't know, man. Uh, It it, uh, gives me sports goosebumps. It gives me sports goosebumps. That was uh, the end of that game and just seeing the the explosion of excitement everywhere. And everyone, you could just, I mean, I know this sounds corny, but you could just feel the whole city. Like you could feel the whole city going, hot damn, this is. This is amazing. Pretty cool, yeah. man. Yeah. Oh, it's awesome. All right. Well, let's see if they can get it done in game five. That's going to be Tuesday night. Will game five be on Fox Sports Southwest? Do you know? This one was only on uh, ABC. Yeah. Tuesday and Thursday night are both on Fox Sports Southwest, and it's so badass that there is a Tuesday and Thursday night. That's a great and It's going to be the primetime, 8 p.m., whatever. Yeah, 8 p.m. for both games. And then I think you and I probably we should we should get together and do a pod in between game five and six, shouldn't we? We we just might should. We, we just might should. should. Win or loss. You're on. Yep. Find me. All right. Uh, all right. Let's do it, man. Let's do it. Okay. Skin. Thank you for joining me. Thank awesome. you out there in the basketball uh, atmosphere for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate, review, share with all your friends. Let us know where you were and who you were with whenever Luca hit the shot heard around the world because I feel like that's gonna be that's gonna be a moment that we're gonna remember for a very, very, very long time. And hopefully we can see it a bajillion times in all these montages one day whenever he wins the championship in a couple years or maybe a couple weeks. We shall see. Uh, but yeah, we'll be back with you this week, maybe after game five, ahead of game six, could be a coronation, it could suck. Either way, we'll be with you. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Bedgear, as always, for your support. And thank you, Skin. Love you, buddy. And uh, we'll see you next time. Numbers on the boards. <laughs>